So I think maintaining that objectivity and actually saying I'm not here to understand um, or have my ego validated or have my product validated, I'm here to genuinely learn and listen and understand what these people want. My name is Varun Balsara. And hi everyone, I'm Luke Nethercliffe. And welcome to The Human Entrepreneur. Today we have a very, very special guest. Uh, she's a professor here at the Warwick University. Uh, her name is Bo. Hi Bo, thanks for joining us. Hi guys, thanks for having me. So Bo, you're, you're into design thinking. You can be called one of the experts uh, <laughs> at Warwick University. Can you, can you tell us what you do on so, a day-to-day basis? Um, so I teach a module called Design Thinking, um, Introduction to Design Thinking Theory and Practice. It's an undergraduate module offered through a department called Institute of Advanced Teaching and Learning. Um, and essentially this module opens up design thinking to um, any undergraduate student at Warwick um, who is interested in business and economics or that kind of entrepreneurship related module um, or discipline if you like um, and gives them the opportunity to learn more about um, design thinking as a methodology um, its theoretical background and its practical um, applications to be able to apply that into whatever discipline and kind of post-work destination that they go into. Um, aside from that, I've been working at the university for a number of years, both as a student project officer but also as a staff member, and have kind of injected design thinking into several different strands of work around innovation, student engagement, um, and kind of uh, complex problem solving within the university. So, Bo, thank you so much for this. Uh, could you just tell us what design thinking really is? Yeah, so design thinking as a term has kind of been f- around for a lot longer than people assume it has been. It's been popularised by an organisation called IDEO, which is a huge, huge kind of design agency that also do a lot of stuff around education in Stanford now as well. So the way the Kelly brothers who've set up IDEO um, define design thinking, it's a way of finding human needs and creating new solutions using the tools and kind of mindsets of design practitioners, right? So people who study design, we just borrow from what they do on a day-to-day basis and inject some of those tools, mindset and techniques into problem solving and innovation and decision making. Um, very often design thinking is described um, or labelled as human-centred design. Yeah. Um, so the way you can look at it is it kind of it really fundamentally starts any brainstorming and props brainstorming and problem solving from human point of view, user point of view, audience point of view, um, and really redefine some of the kind of outdated management and entrepreneurship and innovation techniques that start with the problem. Um, and design thinking can be used for pretty much any area of life. I don't think from my work I haven't seen an application where um, it hasn't worked or it doesn't have a space um, or doesn't have a seat at the table if you like. Um, but obviously around entrepreneurship, uh, in the area of entrepreneurship and digital, it has been a huge, big topic um, because of methodologies such as Lean, for example, where it's been used um, in kind of, you know, in a very complementary and sometimes interchangeable way as well. So very, very big term, quite a buzzword currently. I've seen a huge increase in kind of people's familiarity of the term, but also in people's use and practicing of design thinking. And so both for, um, I'm a student entrepreneur, and for the student entrepreneurs listening, how do you uh, really start to go about starting the design thinking process? Yeah, so um, I think looking at design thinking can be a little bit intimidating, can be quite complex, but really I would say that the basic way and the kind of the beginning, the foundation of design thinking is starting to think about, like I said, the user, the audience. What is it that you're trying to achieve? Whose needs are you trying to meet? Kind of what problems are you trying to solve? And and really going back to some of the fundamental research principles that you might have learned as part of your degree. So again, thinking about things like user observations, um, thinking about things like research, focus groups, surveys, questionnaires, really trying to get to the bottom of some some of the user insights. Um, Very often the initial step of design thinking is um, also labeled as kind of walking in your user's shoes. Um, so sometimes, you know, if you're a digital entrepreneur, for example, it might even just be kind of being a bit of a bystander, an onlooker, and actually looking at how someone is interacting with an app or a website and, and spotting potential pains and gains. So I would say that the very beginning of design thinking is being more observant, being a little bit more empathetic, trying to understand your user and your audience. Um, in a deeper way. Um, very often, um, and it's not just students that, that 
are prone to making that mistake but anyone who's new to design thinking and sometimes people who are actually quite familiar with design thinking the temptation is to speak to mum and a couple of friends and your grandma and you know like an aunt from whatever you ask in order to get some of the user insight and, and I think it's a good starting point especially as you build up your confidence when it comes to user research but that doesn't necessarily mean that you would get the full picture so with design thinking as you build up as I said your confidence and kind of your level of comfort with speaking to the user you might actually start reaching out into various user groups sometimes on the periphery um, that can give you valuable insights into kind of the problems and, and potential different perspectives or different uses of your product or the service that you're designing. So you brought up the concept of empathy in mm. design thinking and that I think is the fulcrum of design thinking, yeah. putting yourself into the shoes of um, your user. Uh, and then you also talked about research. Now, how do I say as a student entrepreneur who's setting out get, getting my own business, mm. what are the questions I need to really ask myself and how do I transition to that point where I'm an empathetic person looking at a problem from my user's perspective. Yeah, definitely. I think empathy is not an easy thing to do. One of the things that I discuss with my students in the classroom, but also colleagues as well, is the difference between emotional intelligence, which is something that we are more likely to be exposed to as part of the curriculum, and within the university, um, and empathy. Um, and really kind of the best way to describe and distinguish the, the two is, is emotional intelligence is being able to view and, and understand and, and see other people's emotional responses. And empathy, as I mentioned, is being able to really feel those same emotions and walk in the user's shoes. So I think that distinction is really important to make because very often students um, kind of confuse the two. Um, I think because of the the way the society works at the moment, we tend to be really individualistic or move towards more individualistic societies. So being empathetic is, is harder and actually kind of gets beaten and socialised out of us to an extent. Um, certainly coming from a collectivist culture from Ukraine and then move, moving into Britain, which is more individualistic, I've experienced that transition myself and I'm sure a lot of students relate to that too. Um, so the first thing about empathy is that you know, there is arguments about it being an innate trait and some people having more of a capacity to be empathetic. And, and there is, you know, there is obviously evidence to suggest that that's the case and, and that's fine. But I'm a big advocate of actually being a bit, being able to train yourself to think in a more empathetic way um, and to look at design and to look at innovation in a more empathetic way. And the way I would say students can start doing that is... Um, just start questioning again kind of what is my perspective on again this product or this service or this whole area of entrepreneurship or innovation whatever you're looking at um, you know what do I understand it where does that perspective actually come from so sometimes it's about questioning is it my parents or like you know maybe I don't know my dad was an entrepreneur and that kind of shaped massively who I am today in my entrepreneurial journey as well so I never really stopped questioning kind of where my motivation comes from and my perspective on entrepreneurship comes from until um, some of the concepts um, that I've been exposed to through design thinking uh, it's also about giving full attention again this kind of speed really quick um, lean methodology sometimes but also the way the society works and, and the busy lifestyle of a student doesn't necessarily always get you to kind of stop and, and smell the flowers so to speak you know you really have to consciously make time and space to to give full attention either to a lecture or to a user um, or to that meeting or to that workshop or to that networking event whatever it is um, it's also about listening and listening in an active way again I think within Warwick and I'm sure other universities uh, there are workshops that can help you do that as well, how you can actually coach and train yourself to listen actively and be present um, with, within that conversation, whatever you're doing, not kind of sitting and doing emails as you're talking and, and kind of, you know, whatever, brainstorming on your own quietly, but actually listening actively. Um, it's also, like I said, you know, this reflection on behaviour, but also about how you come across to other people. Again, I didn't necessarily think much about that until I really had to, especially as a teacher or an academic, is constantly kind of exposed and I feel extremely vulnerable in a lot of these, these um, situations, yeah. you know, and, and I'm sure everyone does. So it's about kind of also questioning how do I come across to people and how can I be more open and accessible and actually in the context of user research, how can I give people that opportunity to ask me questions and questions and open up um, to me as well. Um, it's being attuned to um, things that are non-verbal. Again, you know, we, we, you know, users and your audience wouldn't really see this, but 
the body language that we're using, the nodding, the kind of um, other things and other signals that people are sending when you're doing user research that aren't necessarily visible. Um, questioning your own empathy and your own prejudice, you know, where are some of your views and, and maybe uh, biases come from, you know, especially in the current sort of political climate, um, in the current very kind of globalised consumerism climate, where, where do all of those views come from and really sitting down and unpacking those. I think sometimes that can be a really painful process, but if you're prepared to do that, I think the rewards are a lot greater. Um, asking open questions, not just to get to users, but really just the environment. You know, everyone has an opportunity to have a mentor, have some sort of support for your degree or societies, um, or even the sort of work that you guys are doing. I'm sure you're super approachable to your community. So asking open questions and learning from others. Exploring feeling and needs. Again, if you are doing user research, don't be afraid to say, how does it make you feel? You know, what, does, what that sort of product makes you want to do? Uh, what do you need for that product, for that service to achieve? I think very often we kind of shy away from the feelings into kind of being more functional, especially because, um, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, I see this from teaching creativity, teaching design thinking, that we have this dichotomy between... Um, being either creative or being kind of business entrepreneurial minded they don't currently sit well together you're either a sort of man wearing a business suit or a woman wearing a business suit or you're the creative type that's kind of very messy and got coloured hair and you know just really funky and quirky um, and so the same thing is happening with kind of feelings and then needs so not being scared to ask about feelings also um, and at the same time expressing your own and and I think particularly around how you interact maybe with your co-founders in the case of entrepreneurship you know I feel and I think and I wish are all great ways to give each other feedback and actually communicate on a much deeper level um, and I encourage everyone not to shy away from that um, and, and, and finally act with empathy as well you know as you go by your daily life ask yourself how can I help and not just through your product and I hope that fundamentally that's what you'd want to be doing as an entrepreneur you wanting to solve a problem you wanted to help your user but equally doing that within your community and just being more aware and attuned to your community um, and their needs and problems. Now, say <laughs> at some point there is a there's a student entrepreneur who's just setting out and probably he or she is not really that empathetic. Mm. Uh, cultural factors or whatever yeah. you can you can name. Uh, how does he or she do it? Does is it is it is it possible to fake it? Like fake it till you make it? Uh, how do you how do you embark on that journey of you know Good being empathetic? Good question. Good question. Um, I wouldn't say fake it because again I think empathy is so much deeper than that. There is it's, it's like passion. You can't really fake it, right? It's either there or it isn't. Um, I think just being fundamentally interested in what the user has to say, even if you're struggling to kind of connect with them, or maybe you don't even have the opportunity or you're super early on your journey or you don't have the tools or resources to do that, that also can be the case. So it's just fundamentally questioning and asking questions. Um, and I would also say maybe the term that people will find easier to relate to is being mindful or practicing mindfulness. Not necessarily in a well-being way, although that would be really helpful too, to be in it more attuned with your own feelings and, and kind of the surrounding environment. But actually being mindful in terms of just what's happening around you. Maybe sitting in a cafe and just people watching and, you know, kind of setting yourself an action point of doing that every day for five minutes as you're having your daily coffee or whatever. Um, or just, you know, pledging to kind of really listen actively when you're having a chat with your friend or when you're in a lecture. So I feel like there's a couple of really small steps that are really kind of lowering the barriers for you to just be more attuned to your surroundings and, and the users. And equally, if you are um, better networked and you have time with the resources and you can go to an, a particular event or, I don't know, a mentoring session, again, set yourself some of those little goals that you know will help you make the most of that session. Either, again, listen or make a pledge to ask three founders in a networking session about how they started or how they do use research. Um, and, and to that point, again, the community is is got such wealth of knowledge and resources that just asking how other people who are a bit ahead of your... Um, ahead of you on the journey is also really valuable. I find that people tend to look for mentors and kind of advisors who are really senior or really hard. But actually, from my personal experience, both as an academic and as an entrepreneur and as a professional in general, I found it a lot more valuable to actually speak to my peers and people who are just maybe one or two steps ahead of me rather than 10, 20 years. There's huge value in that, but I think your peers and people who are closer to your experiences, your lived experiences, will be able to advise you 
a lot more and much better and more productive way. And you mentioned those like little steps you can take, say, in a networking event or when you're mm-hmm. in a cafe to think of um, new ideas. Um, and you also mentioned this like myth that you're either creative or you're not creative. Um, to someone who maybe doesn't have the belief that they're not the creative type, mm-hmm. they've got this creative scars um, yeah. <laughs> and you like to pledge that you might want to touch upon. Um, how would you say are some of the little steps that they can take to realise their creative self? Yeah, very good question, Luke. I, as I said, I find this in my lectures and sessions all the time. And actually, funnily enough, students are less... Um, you know, they're more immune to this than some of the senior people I worked with. And I find that even, you know, within higher education context, the closer you are to kind of senior governance sort of position, the more likely you are to be questioning your creativity and asking me permissions to do certain things in my creative exercises. So that's really interesting. Um, I definitely find a difference in disciplines. I think there are certain disciplines that are more likely to be um, open about their creativity and kind of are more comfortable admitting that they're creative, which is also interesting. Uh, but really, it is across the board. I think, you know, I, as you know, I always show this image of kind of left and right side of brains as one being more creative and one being more logical. And again, depending on our context and cultural background as well as education, we are made to believe that we are the creative or not. Certain disciplines, you know, again, as I, as I said, will we'll dictate that too. Um, and because I'm kind of, you know, an immigrant and an international student or an international member of staff here, I always bring culture into this. Um, so forgive me if that's irrelevant, but I, I personally think that it is. Um, I come from a system of education where creativity just wasn't a thing. Uh, you had to regurgitate a lot of the content, you had to do a lot of exams, you had yeah. to do very little essay writing, or even if you did, you had to kind of choose one point of view and kind of, you know, battle it to the end. Um, so when I moved to the UK, I was 18, so, you know, I was already kind of fully formed adult, if you like. I had to completely unlearn a lot of these behaviours. And really, for me, I don't think I started seeing myself as someone who was creative until I started working at university. And at this point, I would have been about 27, um, very close to completing my PhD. So again, I was I was kind of made to believe that I was very one-directional, and really, um, I had a major kind of personality crisis at that point, but that's another podcast in itself, <laughs> about what I wanted to do with my PhD and my kind of business digital background. I really didn't feel, believe it or not, that there was any space for any of those skills anywhere. Um, so for me it was kind of creativity through necessity as I started picking up projects and really kind of having lots of different side hustles and really exploring what I wanted to do um, I, I kind of I fell into creativity I had to be creative with my time I had to be creative with the solutions I was putting um, forward and I had to be creative with the projects I was doing because I knew that my entire career depended on it um, and at that point I also um, started noticing that um, the more reflection I did and the more kind of I strived towards a particular goal and being recognised and being seen and being noticed, um, the more creativity was coming through. And I started doing things like journaling and writing ideas and uh, kind of having posters all over the place, even before I kind of fully practised design thinking, like I, I did posters before it was cool. Um, so I, I had this, I had these like giant post-its which I would just sort of write and put things across my room um, outside of the university and outside of work. So I, I think I kind of, as I said, I fell into creativity. And it wasn't until I started thinking, oh actually that idea was good. And a lot of it was through external validation. I do have to say, you know, I, I didn't have the kind of personal self-belief and courage at that point to do that. Um, for, for senior people at the, at the university telling me that was really good, you did a really good job there. Um, then I was like, okay, I, I've, I've, I've got this, I can do it. So it really does take some kind of external validation sometimes to, to see your own creativity. Um, and then those little exercises that I had for myself in terms of just expressing what I was thinking and having some of those mind dumps at the end of the day, um, I, I started seeing again more better and better things were coming through it. Um, but so in my case and I think in many students case sorry this is a really long winded answer um, it's about um, building it up again it's about seeking some of that external validation and it's about um, believing that you can do it research shows that the only thing that distinguishes people who are greater than to those that aren't is is that actual self-belief and one of the things that I've recently invested in because I'm really interested in, in this topic and I want to find a way to practice creativity myself and then obviously give those tools to my students is um, a 
kind of workbook called uh, 365 Days of Creativity, and I can send you the links that you can share with with your um, listeners. Um, and it's literally just a little kind of workbook uh, with an exercise a day, uh, where you can just sort of practice that lateral, lateral thinking, that artistic. Um, creative thinking you know it's not just to do with art but it's just about changing your perspective um so uh, you know again long story short um i needed external validation i needed to um for other people to believe in me and i needed to build up that belief through necessity and through just kind of purely looking for answers um and it's a never-ending journey i'm still looking for ways to be more creative i'm still looking for ways to develop it um and, and i think you know, you will find yourself vulnerable in different settings and in different new yeah. settings. Yeah. Um, so, for example, like speaking to students is not necessarily an issue, or like speaking to students that are kind of business, GSD related, global sustainable development um, disciplines is really easy. But then if I'm in front of sciences, I find it kind of more difficult. So again, you know, everyone goes through that and everyone goes through different experiences. So just accepting that you will feel awkward and strange sometimes and you actually you will need to find your way of being creative in different industries and in different communities and in different um, kind of strands of work. Um, it's just really helpful in terms of adjusting your own expectations, just being ready to think on yeah. your feet so when it comes to like these ideas we've been talking a lot about innovation ideas mm. creativity i was just wondering where do these great ideas come from because my <laughs> biggest my biggest my biggest yeah. uh, my one of my biggest belief is i don't believe in these aha moments yeah because eventually there are these many 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 hundreds of aha moments that then lead up to this one big aha moment so where do these ideas come from and there's i think there's a lot of pressure one of my biggest fears is uh, as an entrepreneur is say the venture i'm doing or the ventures i'm doing fails um what next where do i go from there yeah definitely i think it's such a valid point and i think again everyone struggles with this right i think it's really useful to just admit that we're all in this together creativity is stuff and i think again because of this individuality and this push towards um kind of how social media portrays entrepreneurship isn't necessarily helpful as well you kind of mm. see a lot of these visible role models that kind of just did this little one thing and then suddenly became billionaires so everyone has this impression that you have to just come up with a good idea and then revolutionize the world yeah. and fair play you know if, if you're really lucky and you know the universe is aligned that might happen but i think for the majority of us you have to accept the you will have to go through through the hustle, through the kind of, you know, started from the bottom sort of thing um, until you get to your space and until you do come up with a good idea. Um, I find that a lot of students and a lot of people that I work with completely um, kind of reject conventionality. Um, like, you know, oh, this is just plain or like this is just another Facebook or this is just another this. I want to be more. I want to do bigger stuff or whatever and that's fine I think having that ambition and having that passion is absolutely fine but I think it's the kind of play with conventionality rather than rejection of it that will get you to good ideas um, you know at the end of the day if you look at any idea if you look at any kind of especially written piece of work it's all kind of falls into several different different categories and it all will be based um, on something or will be seeking inspiration from somewhere like nothing comes from nothing right there's an expression of standing on the shoulders of giants mm. which obviously uh, you know has has something to it to me because you will have to build on things and knowledge and ideas to get to somewhere um, and I think when it comes to entrepreneurship and creating new ideas that are valid and, and seen and recognized and kind of you know are have the potential to grow it's about actually again not shying away from bringing your own unique lived experiences into it so it's those unseen combinations of ideas and existing products that you kind of mix in with your background with your skills and your own experiences where you've 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 seen that opportunity that you know i don't know like someone from china couldn't have or someone who studied engineering couldn't have or someone who was in their 40s couldn't have or someone who's a man couldn't have you know so it's playing with what you've got it's, it's making the most of what you have rather than saying i'm, I'm going to wait for the next big fate you know next big idea or the next facebook or whatever um and it's also again kind of searching those opportunities where you can um be more creative and training yourself to be more creative in order to 
kind of try to and, and seek to make extraordinary things out of the ordinary. I think, again, you know, I don't know if you'd agree, guys, but if you look at m- most kind of successful companies, it's it's changing something that already exists. It's just kind of taking another spin on it yeah. um, or kind of adding that digital layer to it. You know, um, the definition of innovation, one of the most common definitions of innovation is recombining existing components. Um, so I, I think it's it's a very helpful way to look at ideation rather than creating something really new. And that's invention as well, by the way. I think having that distinction between invention and innovation is really helpful. Yeah. I think a lot of yeah. people mistake the two. Yeah. Um, it's yeah again. So looking at things that are around you and how can you make them better? How can you add to them? Um, a very helpful book to to kind of do that or at least look at that is obviously Blue Ocean Strategy, which you know I'm sure your audience would be quite familiar with or at least would have heard about in in some circles. It's about also not necessarily looking at what your competition is doing, but actually again looking at your own unique experiences and saying, hey, hang on a minute, I see something here. Let me combine, recombine things and actually go for something entirely different rather than just trying to do a better Facebook or a bigger Facebook. You know, I'm using Facebook as a kind yeah. of obviously common yeah. example, but, you know, I hope you know what I'm trying to kind of say here. Um, and another thing is also, um, unfortunately, our degrees and the way the education is structured, specialisation is um, inherent to it. And the way I see it, specialisation is learning more about less. Right, and you know we can sit and talk about revolutionising education here, and you know that could also be another podcast. But I think it's really important for students to understand that actually that is what degree their degree is teaching them. It's kind of you know learning more about less and fewer things. So understanding that and actually seeking opportunities when you can again change their perspective, learn new skills, learn from other people, push those boundaries, uh, meet new people, talk to different people, because again those would be the fundamental things that help you become more empathetic, become more creative, become more interdisciplinary, more internationalized. Um, and, and really, again, just, you know, creating opportunities to just absorb new things. Yeah. Um, you know, if you, and, and, and to that point, I think it's also really useful to emphasize that entrepreneurship is not a solitary journey. I don't know whether you guys have anything to say about this, but I, I am a you know huge supporter of actually saying you need a team, you need a few people, you need to need mentors, you need someone to feed into your idea. Definitely, yeah. You cannot yeah. create something on your own, yeah. um, and you cannot create something within one discipline or within you know in in today's kind of world and economy within one country or within one local setting. So really seek more seeking more opportunities to push those boundaries and push yourself ultimately. Um, to understand what is what is outside and what is there, uh, but yeah, as I said, most things that you need, most of the ingredients that you need to be creative and to come up with an idea, with an idea, are really within you and within the surrounding. And I think I'm getting a, a vibe that design thinking is a lot more than just an academic discipline. It's mm. as I see it and as I've studied it in the past as well. It's about knowing yourself first and then knowing your cost, uh, your customer, consumer, whatever. Mm. And the biggest thing for me while I was studying it was uh, grappling with this ego concept. Yeah. Um, and how does one do that? Uh, I'm not sure how I went about doing it. Um, it. It just happened as I kept doing it. But yeah. I think ego plays a big role in... Um, in, in, in how you, you empathize with someone yeah. and as a result get the solution and the creativity thereof. Mm. So what do you think? What's the role? How do you go about navigating your way through it? Yeah, excellent point. I think that is definitely something, um, you know, ego in general, kind of engaging with your ego or not engaging with your ego is something that's um, huge in entrepreneurship and especially as you're starting your journey out. Um, again, because the lifestyle of an entrepreneur has been sold and missold mm-hmm. in so many ways, again, a lot of people kind of walk in into the entrepreneurial journey with a totally different mindset to what it actually requires you to be and do. So I would say that a design thinking definitely uh, and, and inevitably will make you question things and yourself, as you said. Um, I think it will it will definitely make you sh- make you shift your mindset and make you question your mindset when it comes from kind of some of the things that we talk- talked about around empathy at the, empathy at the beginning, um, and it will require you to focus um, your attention from yourself and your entrepreneurial journey onto the user, mm-hmm. and sometimes it will actually make you focus from the product, which is very easy to fall in love with. I'm sure you can also agree with that. Um, especially if you've been working on an idea for a long time and you invested a lot of time and maybe even money or an effort into it, it's, it's obviously harder to 
uh, not be in love with it and not treat it as your as your baby. But I think design thinking sometimes, um, if you practice it, you know, correctly, or if you're willing to kind of um, surrender into design thinking, it will also help you shift away from that product and actually take a more objective point of view. Really, because like I feel like when I'm when I'm looking at design thinking. Um, it's, it's more like personal where I'm getting mm. empathetic with a customer and then I'm getting emotionally invested mm. because at the end of the day you're dealing with emotion not just yeah. yours but someone else's how do you detach yourself from that situation good question I think if you're doing user research and you're trying to empathize you need to look at it almost as if you're doing anthropology like imagine you are some sort of a researcher that is entirely new to this maybe setting um, I think there's actually there's, there's even exercises that exist around this pretending to be an alien. Imagine you're an alien that you've landed in um, on on a on a someone else's planet and you're trying to communicate and learn about these new people, these new species that you are now currently you know suddenly exposed to. So I think maintaining that objectivity and actually saying I'm not here to understand. Um, or have my ego validated or have my product validated. I'm here to genuinely learn and listen and understand what these people want. Um, and, and I think, you know, on that point, I'm glad you actually mentioned it because design thinking can also be done um, quite late in the design process, as, as kind of counterintuitive as that sounds. Sometimes people have an idea and they think, that's a great idea, I'm just going to go with it, build some sort of an MVP, or, or maybe they go in fur- even further than that, and then they try to get some user feedback or user input. Um, but actually, if you've done it from the very beginning, and you've empathised, and you've done your user research, and you've built your product on the basis of user, it will be a lot easier to do further empathy and further perspective switching, um, because from the very beginning, fundamentally, you, you engage with the user. It's not been just your idea, if that makes sense. You simply have kind of identified or created the opportunity so so yeah treating it treating that exercise as if you're an alien mm. and then making sure that your design process involves users from from day zero if not minus nice. one um, I think is really important and, and again you know I wanted to mention I, I have mentioned confidence and I want to kind of re-emphasize that again that it will be difficult especially if you're maybe a little bit more introverted or you don't necessarily you know, like to be around people or you don't enjoy it as much. It will be hard, I'm not gonna lie to you. So if that is really difficult, again, take some baby steps, build yourself up to that confidence or maybe get a, a co-founder who's more comfortable or get someone to help you do some of that user research, but don't discount it just because it's uncomfortable um, or because you think you've got a great idea. But again, that, that takes time and that takes a lot of kind of ego busting and ego work. Um, and ultimately, I don't think you can be personally a successful entrepreneur if you haven't engaged with your ego. Yeah, so Most definitely, yeah. If, you, if you're not prepared to put in that work, mm. then you might as well just forget it and, and inevitably I believe the market will push you towards yeah. leaving it there um, so I think yeah I think design thinking ultimately as I said will make you question your ego and it will make you question kind of why you're doing what you're doing and, and what are you prepared to do to put out a good product out there and not yeah. just something that helps you feed into that entrepreneurial life set misconception I hope that answered the question yeah, yeah for yeah. sure and so, Bo, um, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. We thank just want to wrap it up um, by doing some quick-fire questions, so don't think too much about okay. it. So our first question would be, uh, what's the first thing you do in the morning? Check Instagram. I'm so embarrassed to say that. <laughs> I actually do, and very mindlessly as well. And the last thing you do before you go to bed? I'd probably read. I make more effort to read these days. Um, and possibly check Instagram if I, <laughs> I know this sounds so bad um, and, and or watch some, some rubbish TV to just switch off I do find that quite good to do just before I go to sleep and um, what's your favourite podcast? Oh, <laughs> good question I quite like um, anything to do with design thinking I think Harvard Business Review has got a good mm, snappy yeah, one I yeah. think they're like 20 minutes they're quite useful um, and AJ and Smart, who's um, uh, kind of one of the up-and-coming design agencies, have got something called Breakfast Club, but I think they've just changed the name. Again, I'm sure I can send you the link for you guys to share with your audience, but they bring Jake Knapp, who's um, one of the guys that created digital... Sorry, not digital, design, a Google Sprint, a Google Venture Sprint. Um, they come in and do kind of different design thinking, product design, 
um, discussions with with invited audience. So I would definitely recommend that one as well. And your favourite musician? Oh, I'm really crushing um, on a tame impala at the moment. Ooh, it's an yes. Aussie musician, and it's like a really funky mix of 70s and 90s, and it's just it's just really great. And I can't, it's on my walking like a badass type um, <laughs> playlist. Um, but I also love Muse, and I listen to like a really eclectic mix of Eastern European music as well. And you do a bit of singing yourself, do you, Bo? I well, do you know what? I haven't done any for ages. I, you know, I obviously tell my story about the, the the creativity scar and kind of someone telling me I was rubbish when I was a kid and kind of parts of my vocal cords completely refusing to, to sing certain notes. Um, but yeah, I, I do I do sound quite good in the shower and I, I do I do like a good shower sing along. Um, and I love karaoke, but I will only sing karaoke in Russian or Ukrainian. I can't. I actually I physically can't do English, so. That's a weird one. So just like, so just shifting the conversation mm. a little bit to yourself um, as an individual. You mentioned uh, a while back when you were mm. introducing yourself as someone who had a lot of side hustles, and then you you then looked at creativity and what you were doing. You yeah. said that you could, you didn't have that match of skill set. What mm. really happened? What went on in your life at the time that shapes you who you are as someone who's like very passionate about creativity, design thinking, innovation, because you were in an environment mm. that was, I'm not sure if I would say that it's quite stifling, yeah. but in a way it is constricting to an extent. I feel like culture, like you said, does play a huge part yeah. in shaping who you are and getting those design thinking juices flowing. Mm. And you need openness, creativity. So where, what's the story behind this? Thank you. Oh, yeah, I'm more than, more than happy to share that. So I was in my third year of my PhD when I really suddenly lost my father. And, you know, as you, um, as you guys know, he was quite an influence in my life. He was an entrepreneur. He's, he was kind of, you know, again, started from the very beginning and he built up um, quite a successful business back in Ukraine and I, I was always really inspired by him um, throughout my kind of education and also life journey. So when he passed away, kind of the that link into family business, in my case, it disappeared and I wasn't ready to go back home and take over the family business. So that didn't happen for, for a variety of reasons. And at that point, I just sort of sat to my, and started thinking like, okay, so I'm not necessarily enjoying academic research um, and this option that was related to my family is no longer there. Um, so I had to completely reevaluate my entire sort of life positioning and start thinking from the very beginning like, okay, what are my skills? What do I enjoy doing? Um, and where can I apply that? And one of the first jobs at university that I actually did was doing room surveying. So um, I actually got paid, I think it was, it was like a rubbish pay. I mean, for, obviously comparing to some of the things that I earn now three years on, which isn't that far away. Um, it was like eight quid an hour and I just basically had to just go around and count the number of people in rooms. And another job I had was um, survey, like I did a survey at a car park. And at the time, you know, I, I also started doing some of the education work within the university. So some of my colleagues who knew me for and respected me for an entirely different set of work suddenly saw me all wrapped up at 7 a.m. at like the <laughs> University House Park car park and going, what the hell are you doing here? So I also, you know, I've never been a proud person, but that, like, that was a really defining moment for me as a person, like accepting that I'm not afraid to actually do this work. I'm not just an intellectual. Actually, I want to learn and I want to grow and I, I need to do what I need to do at this point. Is that where the ego challenge started? Oh, definitely. Definitely. You know, because I, you know, I obviously any international student that studies abroad would need to have a certain amount of income and backing um, and maybe scholarship to, to be here is quite an expensive, luxurious thing to do. I'm not going to lie. Um, so I, you know, I would have come and studied here with, with certain... Um, level of, of of support from my family and suddenly that was gone so it's like oh god how am I gonna cope with all of this so a lot of it was to do with money but some of it was also to do with soul searching and, and a lot of it was to do with ego and actually saying you know this is no longer about um, just being privileged or just being comfortable this is about survival and this is about applying yourself to something that you don't know what that is. So I just started unitamping, you know, anyone at Warwick will know the unitamps is a kind of part-time yeah. database, so yeah. I just started applying for jobs there, and one of the first things was like an impact analysis study, which um, fed into some of the kind of institutional work at the time, and I got noticed, and I got 
gradually got invited to do other work. And for the last, you know, I just got this new job in um, July, but for the last three years up until that point, I would have anywhere between three to eight jobs within the university. And I call them jobs, but really they're projects, you know, but some of them would require kind of, you know, my attention full time. And I had to juggle them and kind of, uh, you know, kind of be doing a bit of wheeling and dealing and, and negotiate my positioning and what I was doing within the project and how much time I was putting in. So that was really interesting. And, and then over time, as I, you know, as I said, as I was building my confidence, and I was like, oh, actually, I can do this. And like some of the senior people are seeing me and hearing me and kind of recognizing what I'm doing. Um, and from there on, I was kind of more comfortable actually saying that, you know what, I do specialise in design thinking, I do have something to say in this area, I do have something to say about digital, um, and putting myself forward for stuff and actually nominating myself, being absolutely scared shitless of actually doing it, of going in front of people and actually claiming to be an expert, but still doing it nevertheless. Wow. Um, and that eventually led me to be more comfortable with my LinkedIn. Mm. And also then adding design thinking and digital and higher education as my key words and kind of, you know, changing my description. And actually some people started finding me online through LinkedIn. Like I would never stop raving about the power of social media for an entrepreneur mm. or anyone who just wants to be seen outside of your immediate community. What did you do? What, what, what so did you make? one of my first projects was um, I got approached by a company that has, um, that is uh, based in New Zealand, but mm. has a subsidiary in the UK and I think Australia. And they essentially um, uh, work with the farming industry and they produce digital solutions for the farming industry. And this company was running, or was due to run a workshop in Warwickshire and they essentially just Googled Warwick design thinking and they found oh, wow. me and they just messaged me and said, hey, I'm looking for someone to help me run this workshop, you know, are you available? And that has actually happened on a number of occasions. Wow. Um, in the kind of higher education context, it's obviously more based on connections and people wanting mm. to do things yeah. for design thinking, yeah. which is kind of up and coming. Um, and the Warwick Secret Challenge work that I'm doing here and kind of using design thinking for student engagement is, is becoming... Um, people are waking up to it so it's through connections but some of it has been um, linked in and people just kind of asking for 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 my expertise so I wouldn't say I'm a kind of full-on entrepreneur but I've, I've, I've had a few baby steps and I think ultimately long term um, I, I want to generate a portfolio career when I'm still in academia but I also have my own kind of consultancy or design nice. thinking business. Nice. My dream, like, like what a dream would be to have some sort of a studio where I can actually have companies for in for a retreat or some sort of a wow. creative kind of exercise or sprint. But I'm taking it kind of really slow, and I appreciate that. In order for me to get there and actually charge people what I want to charge for it, I need to be a lot more senior and I need to have more of a presence. So at the moment, it's kind of slowly investing in more presence and and building my institutional work at Warwick and that kind of really really slowly and gradually going going into the national level as well I mean we've talked a lot about uh, design thinking mm. and how entrepreneurs student entrepreneurs can use it and all of that yeah uh, but where how can it how can he or she use it in their personal life you said being creative with time yeah uh, how do you how do you get to that level what do you do any good practices <laughs> that you can share well given that I check Instagram as a first and last thing <laughs> of the day you can tell I'm not the most creative with my time but um, I would say that um, spending time with yourself is really useful and I don't mean just having quiet time to, to kind of you know away from people and, and rest I mean actually sitting down with a piece of paper and either writing down what you value what you want to do where you want to go reflecting on some of the experiences that was really positive for you some of the experiences that were really heartbreaking and really difficult um, and really digging deep to understand what is it that you actually value what do you enjoy doing um, I received some help from for a complete kind of uh, coincidental um, sort of situation from from the university but I did massively rely on careers guidance personally because I, I didn't know what I wanted to do yeah. at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew that I didn't want to go into kind of the usual consultancy finance background. Um, and I didn't necessarily have the confidence to think that I could either. So that was also a blessing in disguise for me, I think. Um, so, but I had to do a lot of that soul searching and get those post-its out and actually get those little notebooks and reflect. Um, so, so I think yeah, starting with um, looking at yourself as if you were the user, and starting to look at 
um, questioning what, what you do well, what you enjoy, what you value. And doing a bit of a skills audit as well and just saying, actually, these are the things that I can do quite comfortably. These are the things that I still want to learn and maybe I've, you know, I've... I think that for that particular career, for that particular industry, it might be needed. So with that comes research. I find that, myself included, a lot of young people and students tend to operate on assumptions and think, oh, in order for me to go into a creative industry, I need to have a degree in this. Mm-hmm. Or in order for yeah. me to go into design, I need to have a degree in this. So don't operate on assumptions. I certainly, that, that mistake certainly costed me a lot because I kept being nudged into things and almost my PhD was kind of like that when people said oh you'd be a great lecturer you'd be a good research and I was like oh yeah actually I could do and then I like you know I went on and did four years of that to realise I didn't want to do that and I wasn't actually really well suited to it um, so sometimes that kind of external voice can also be harmful so so you know filter it to an extent but um, it's about really um, kind of understanding what is actually needed and checking your assumptions and doing the research and then from there on doing that skills audit and doing maybe strength audit as well. I think people tend to really overlook the value of their strength um, and, and where they are best applied. Um, and again, that's the sort of pr- process you would be going through if you're doing design, right? You would just kind of be taking it from the very bottom yeah. and understanding yeah. the use of the product, the landscape, etc. So I would say that's the beginning. Don't be afraid of reflecting. Don't be afraid of doing some soul searching. If you're really struggling, ask a friend or do it in a group or, you know, again, figure out what works for you because different things work for different yeah. people. Um, and, and keep being um, open-minded and keep questioning again maybe it's a podcast that inspires something maybe it's a book or maybe it's a conversation with someone make the most of every opportunity um, and make the most of kind of pushing those boundaries and learning from other people I found that extremely helpful and again those are the fundamental principles of design thinking pushing the boundaries keeping an open mind questioning things um, and really kind of digging digging deep into the empathy into the real root cause of the problem or the issue or the user Thank you so much, Bo, for um, joining yeah, us on this thank podcast. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. <laughs> Any last words for the student entrepreneurs listening? Or anyone actually listening? Just just be yourself. You as you. Don't try to be someone you're not. Um, kind of do, do, do the hard internal work. Do the reflection. And don't think that you, you, you're an overall. You know, even if you're incredibly smart and you, you're a genius, great credit to you. But never miss an opportunity to learn from other people and listen because, you know... Um, especially, you know, I love the saying of if you're the smartest person in a room, you're in the wrong room. Yeah. And that's kind of the rule I try to live by. I constantly try to uh, push myself towards things that aren't necessarily comfortable, uh, but I know that I'm going to learn from. So, so yeah, just just do that. Keep an open mind and, and keep questioning things, and I'm sure you'll be fine. How do, and how does someone reach you if they have any questions, wants to reach out? Um, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn as Dr. Bo Glaston. I've also got Twitter, although I'm afraid I don't use it very well. Um, I'm not a big Instagram user either. I just sort of browse it. Uh, but I'm also on bo.glaston at warwick.co.uk. Um, and if you're a Warwick student, I'm always around and available for coffees. Um, um, and you can find me in the chemistry building um, or somewhere across campus. So always happy to support, chat, or be a sounding board for people. Right. Thank right. you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks. So, Luke, I think one of the biggest takeaways that at least I took away from this whole thing is using design thinking to your to your um, advantage as an entrepreneur. And I think one of the biggest ways you can do that is by going back to the user itself. We get very caught up as entrepreneurs in the product and we think it's going to be really great without having to actually then go and speak to the, the people who are actually going to use the product. Uh, this is actually reminding me of the show Silicon Valley. I think one of the biggest mistakes was that they didn't actually they tested out the product with engineers and people who of of who were of a technical background without actually going to the common man and doing the user testing. And then they found out in the user testing that people didn't really understand the product. So although they had amazing tech, well, they didn't have. Uh, it, it was not a seamless process and they had to re-envision the whole uh, way in which they presented to the, to the customer. Yeah, I think it's like super fascinating actually. You can so often get caught up and be like, have these rose-tinted glasses of the solution itself without being blinded by how the user actually interacts with it. I think Bo raised a really good point about you've just got to sometimes muster up the courage to interact with customers um, be vulnerable because sometimes they might 
um, give you feedback that you might not want to hear. But at the end of the day, they're the ones who are using your product. They're the ones who are buying from you. They're generating your revenue that are keeping you going. So you need to really hone in and focus on what the consumer feels. Yeah, totally. And I think one of the things that can really help is the empathy map within design thinking, at least from personal experience. Um, empathy map questions the basis of consume, uh, your customer. So what do they think? What do they feel? What do they do? Uh, what do they hear? I think knowing this in a way really helps and one of the key things is observation. So in one of my modules last year, we were made to do an observational activity where we were made to sit in a cafeteria and observe a group of people or one person. I know it sounds a little creepy right now but uh, it does work in a way. I think where the, uh, the whole concept would be to basically look at one person and see what they're doing and this idea started emerging because you actually then understand the human being yes going back to what the customer is doing what he likes what he doesn't like and then fulfilling that need with your solution i think that's a, an amazing way to at least position yourself better for success yes and it's all about like understanding that the customer is human at the end of the day and that kind of like links back to what we're all about as a podcast and Bo really uh, touched upon it as well when she um, opened up and spoke about her vulnerabilities and her um, problems that she faced uh, fitting into university as an international student and then breaking out from that mold and really being empowered and yeah. going out and creating change herself. Yeah. So I think that's a really good lesson that we can all take away that you might be uncomfortable in certain situations but at the end of the day you're going to get through them like things will work out for the better um, despite whether they seem great in the moment or horrific um, treat everything as a learning experience adopt that growth mindset and know that in the future you're going to be able to learn from it and come back stronger thank you so much guys for listening to us as always we really really appreciate uh, that you are on this journey with us we genuinely um, value the time that you give to us uh, every week. And if you have any comments, uh, any uh, sort of questions, please reach out to either Luke or myself or both of us. Uh, and we will help you in whatever capacity we can. Especially if you're a student entrepreneur or you want an idea to bounce off or you want to you want to collab with us, we're always down for these exciting kind of things. Uh, and as always, subscribe to our channel, spread the word. And thank you so much and have an amazing week ahead.